thank you. Uh, it's it's nine o'clock my time in the morning, and I was ready at seven forty-five because I forgot that uh, we have shifted time zone in Sweden. So I was I was ready there. I was thinking, where is everybody? But no one was there, so I walked the dog instead, which was my original plan. Actually, I have one of my sons being home from from the university over Eastern. I said to him, stay one extra day so you can walk the dog, and he said, okay, fine. But now he's just in bed. <laughs> and that was it. Anyway, uh, great to be with you guys. Uh, I haven't been that active, but I've actually been listening into your when you have done your own presentations here afterwards, at least. So I've, I've been checking you out on YouTube, and, and I enjoy being with you. I believe that you are a wise bunch of people, and I like to hang out with people who are smart and wise, and uh, that's just good. Uh, what I'll share today together with you guys is some of my insights when it comes to well, human communication and motivation and how that kind of refers to the workplace. Uh, and I, you know, if you have any questions, just like uh, Kirsten said, you know, put it in the chat or raise your hand or whatever, and we just have a chat about it. Because for me, co-creation is kind of key. I do have a, thing, a couple of things that I would like to cover. Um, Again, based on what I've learned over the decades of, of doing this, um, but but again, you know, our conversation is is worth so much. I just saw this on on Instagram when I was walking the dog. I uh, wasn't fully paying attention to her. Uh, a single conversation with a wise man or woman uh, is better than years of studies, and and, and that's kind of how I how I treat I feel about you. You know, it's, it's so much to learn. So I want to be your friend. <laughs> that's basically it whether you're alive here with me or not. You know. So the title of this was uh, this one. Your communication gives, uh, gives you the team and customers you deserve. And I kind of highlighted serve because I believe that that is kind of the key on this. Uh, servant leadership, if you will. Uh, also, when it comes to selling, you know, to sell is to serve. And if you can if you can uh, serve somebody with your product because they need it and sell it and if you cannot serve them if you don't want to serve them with with your product then, then don't sell it to them basically that's my, my simple philosophy when it comes to that part and i'm kind of acutely aware also how people act in the different service roles like if every time i go into a hotel i always kind of figure out you know how are they communicating here how are they behaving is there something behind their behavior that kind of uh, reveals clues about the culture within the company and so on. So I have that all, all the time uh, with me. Um, when you look at yourself, some I guess that some of you are like me, you're solo entrepreneurs, you know, you hire consultants if you need some services and so on, but otherwise you, you work for yourself. And then some of you might have a team as well that you work with and that you, you know, like, like you hired employees and so on. And I'll try to cover both of them. The first part soon enough will be I wrote it as well in the text that it's perhaps more uh, towards you who have a team, but really when I think about it, it's for everybody because as a solo entrepreneur, I still want to find out who I'm dealing with, you know, and what the culture is within that company and what, what motivates them and so on. So it's kind of that from that perspective. Uh, I'll talk about, you know, the real reason for engagement, the real reason for motivation that is, you know, uh, not necessarily... Uh, open it's kind of half hidden but we need we can find clues about that and then i go into what i call the three communicative superpowers that will help us excel when it comes to meet greet and treat our team members our colleagues our clients and so on that's the plan that's the plan uh, and again if you have something you want to just add reflect or something go on just do it so 
looking into you know psychology and research this is this is what we want let's see if i can do it like this instead show you a picture like this no not that one i want to show you this one this one i want to show you um looking at any team that i've met at least or any, any person you know this is what we want we want to grow we want to grow in our in our skills uh, spiritually mentally physically wherever we want to grow and we want to influence uh, decisions processes people uh, and we also want to have fun you know pretty simple really isn't it uh, this if you look at self-determination theory matches beautifully into that because really that's about competence autonomy and belonging you know being, being connected with other people like we are a tribe here you know within circle of influence so we want to grow that's why you're here you know and that's why i'm here with you uh, and we want to influence we want to have fun this is what we want and, and when i see different teams that that really excel they are in this zone this is what they do um, but then again you know things happen you know changes you didn't want to COVID show comes along, a new boss comes along, something happens. And all of a sudden, a lot of people feel this instead. And I left the corporate world in 2006. I left the corporate world then and I said, you know, I'm going to find out, you know, how, how this works around the world. So I've been coaching leaders and teams around the world since then. And, and, and I found that a lot of us are really stressed. Um, a lot of our team members are stressed. You know, there's pr pressure from above, from the side, from low, everywhere. The stress, and it also creates a lot of frustration. I can, I can, I hear company leaders or founders saying, "I don't understand why are they not as passionate as I am? Why aren't they, you know, working as hard as I am all the time?" So we have that situation as well where the frustration comes in. And I, I can be one of those persons who are really impatient. Sometimes I want just results, also for myself. Being in this uh, circle of excellence, for instance, I, I've been, I came on board about eight, like a year ago. I think I talked to Mike a year ago and I still haven't finished the 13 week program. I'm on module 11. It kind of bums me out. I, you know, of course, other things to do as well, but still. Uh, but then also I, I can see that many people are anxious. You know, anxiety is pretty high sometimes. In Sweden, where I live, for instance, um, small country, 10 million people, one million of them are munching away on antidepressants. You know, we're supposed to be one of the happiest countries in the world. So we have this anxiety going on if we don't, you know, we don't feel that we are good enough or that we don't belong with other people. So we feel out instead of in, which kind of creates a huge amount of stress and so on. So, so many times when we are in this situation, this happens. And really, if you feel that you have if you talk to your clients, for instance, or if you have a team by yourself and you see that, you know, people are really struggling here, you don't have that kind of, you're not in the zone, you don't have the flow going on with the team, or, or you can feel that within your, your, your supplier or vendor that we have to kind of pick and choose pretty carefully. Um, it's a sign of something, it's a sign, you know, and we need to kind of just figure out what to do with it, because if we stay there for too long, it's not going to be very good. So basically what I tell my clients as well, and by the way, you, I don't treat you as clients now, just to know, we, we are peers. This is what we do together, this is all. But this is what I, what I see in front of me. I see that, let's see if I can choose this one, like this, sorry. Uh, I believe that you know after spending time on this, I believe that if you master your communication skills, which is for me a broad word, I use that like for all the behavior that you have as well what you say, what you do, how you listen, all of those things, then we will influence our engagement among other people and ourselves as well. 
which of course will lead to better performance and higher results. So for me, this is kind of the holistic view of how communication, motivation, and performance goes hand in hand. If we have this, we understand you know, where we are with it. And just to go back a little bit, we don't know each other that well yet, do we? So this is me. This one is me. This is my Hugh Grant hairstyle when I was back in the 90s. Uh, I've been I've been studying uh, you know and doing research on communication ever since. And two things happened to me at that time when I when I looked like this in the 90s. One other thing was that I was studying marketing and business economics in, in what's called night school. I was, I was working all days after the military service. I was tired of, 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 of studies and all that. So I just wanted to work. I started to work, but I also felt an urge to, to learn more. So I went to this marketing school. And I remember still one of the head teachers in business economics uh, who had this you know, room full of us, ambitious young adults or you know, up, up to 30, 35 perhaps. And I was like 23 something. Uh, and he said, uh, there comes a time, I remember this so well, he said there comes a time when, when, when most people, many people at least, they have decided that they, they don't wanna live in a world of uncertainty. They cannot, it's, they, they get too stressed, too frustrated, too much anxiety going on within them. They cannot live with that. So they decide that everything is you know, binary. It's, it's, it's right or wrong, good or bad, uh, one or zero, dark or, or light. It's, it's kind of, they just have to decide on that one. And then they live their life like that. And they have what we can call a fixed mindset now. So, so they're stuck. And then he said, you know, but there are other people who also decide that you know, who decide that the world is uncertain and they can live in that world. And actually they, they, they decide to have a curious mindset instead. So they are developing and they are constantly learning and they are just growing. And then he looked at us and it felt like he looked right at me. And he said, you are those people because you have decided to invest your time, your precious time as an adult to study, to develop yourself, to grow. And I felt that resonated with me so deeply uh, that I said, you know, this, this is who I want to be. I want to be that person who learns all the time. So I, I kind of view myself as a learning person, uh, you know, whether it's books or, or, or listening to you or something else. I just want to, you know, be like a sponge, always learning, always, you know, finding new things. Not on every area, of course. I mean, for me, I, I like to do it within human psychology and communication and motivation and so on. I don't know, still know how to, uh, you know, assemble a Billy bookshelf from Ikea. I have no idea. I'm, I'm a practical idiot, so, so I don't, and I don't want to learn. It's, I, I'm filled with stress and frustration and anxiety when I, when I even pass an Ikea. That's enough, you know, and then you go in and it costs nothing to go in, but it costs hundreds or thousands to go out. And then you have this, you know, packages that you have to unpack and, and, and my, my family is kind of circling around me like I am a totem pole and they just say, how are you, what are you thinking, you know? And I was like, ah, you know, I'm, so that's, you know, not, not the area I want to learn. But otherwise I, I cannot feel that I am. So that was one thing that happened to me and that, that kind of resonated with me. But the other thing that happened to me at the, and when I was at this say when I looked like this, uh, was that I was held at gunpoint. So I was, I was interested in communication and all that, but I was held at gunpoint. It was a summer night, uh, mid nineties. I was walking home downtown Gothenburg where I lived at the time, second biggest city in Sweden. 
and not completely sober. I've been out doing you know a round of, of drinks with my friends, and and halfway through, halfway to my apartment, then, then I was stopped by two punks. They just stopped me and said, "Hey, you, you know, hmm? you gonna smoke?" I said, "No." Well, give me a wallet then. <laughs> and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sober. I said, no. And then the, one of the guys just grabbed his pistol from inside his jacket, be going gangster stuff, you know. Are you sure about that? And of course I said, no. And then I left the wallet to them, you know, looking away thinking, oh man, I need to find myself a new driver's license and stop all the credit cards and all that. But then when I looked back like 10 seconds later, they said, you know, here's a wallet back. I get my wallet back? I said, yeah because you had such good answers to our questions. <laughs> they said, those morons. Uh, of course, I didn't say anything about that. I just pretended to be their friend. I even gave them two VIP tickets to a nightclub for the night after, saying, these are, these are valid from tomorrow at eight o'clock. Oh man, you're so nice. And I was thinking, no, I'm not nice. I'm gonna talk to the police tomorrow and say that those two idiots are at that nightclub at eight o'clock, grab them. Which they, by the way, didn't do because I wasn't robbed, they said, so what, what's the point? The point I said is that they have guns, you know. Um, so, but I went home after that. We said we parted ways. I went home. I was, you know, took my elevator to, to the fifth floor where I have my apartment, and I went snuck in. And my my girlfriend at the time was sleeping, and I just sat at the at the edge of the bed, and uh, I couldn't lie down. I I couldn't. This is when I realized that you know I'm I'm twenty something years old. I I could have been dead now. But I came out of this without a black eye, without a hole in my body, and, and you know, with my wallet. What's going on here? What happened? What made me come out of this situation unharmed, apart from the fact that my hands were shaking? And I think that that's, you know, looking back at, at the, that incident, I think that that's when I went from being interested in, in communication and relationship building to, to being halfway obsessed, uh, spending time on that ever since. So, so I've been I've been studying that. I've been trying. I've been failing. I have failed so many times that sometimes I, you know, if if I if I want to boost myself, I'm thinking I'm like uh, Wayne Gretzky. Nobody fell as much as he did during practice because he always pushed the limit. You know, uh, probably I'm not Wayne Gretzky, but, but that's kind of my my vision of it. So, uh, but I've been I've been you know trying over and over again to just improve myself. And today, what I do is basically this. Let's see if I can show you. I'm, 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 I'm fiddling around with my, my things here because I'm trying new things with you guys. I'm thinking this is you know, a good opportunity to do that. Here we go. I'm going to show you this one. Here we go. So basically, uh, this is what I work with today. When it comes to workplace communication, which is what I call the whole thing, um, it's about you know, how you meet, greet, and treat your, your, your team members, your, your colleagues, and of course, your clients. Uh, that's it. Uh, I looked into a study of Gallup. Gallup says that people are engaged, you know, people are more or less, I'm going to do this as a segue into what I do now, because I believe that I have the, you know, I have the most fun job that you can have. I have the best job in the world. I hope, I hope you have the best job in the world as well. But not everybody does that. Not everybody has the best job in the world. And Gallup shows that about 10 to 35% of all employees are what they call actively engaged, meaning that they do discretionary efforts. They do more than what's on their job description. They do things because they believe it's mean, they need to be done, the things. 
uh, 10 to 35%. In Sweden, that number is 14%. We're one of the happiest countries in the world. We have 14% actively engaged MPs. I think South Africa is about 30. Um, Eastern Europe, about 10. Finland, 10. Uh, so, so the numbers are just bad. And, and I actually did a quick analysis as well. And I found out, this is kind of strange, but I found out that the more job security you have, the less actively engaged you are. So there might be something there that you just are doing lip service, or you just appreciate you appreciate your work so much when you have when you don't have the same job security that you that you believe that you have a higher engagement. So that's that's a low number. And the other number that is, is too high, I think, is that about 10% are actively disengaged out of the workforce, means that they are saboteurs. They are actively sabotaging for everyone else, you know, hindering them to do their work, coming late to the meetings on purpose, trash talking people behind their back. They're just bad, you know, for some reason. We don't hire assholes on purpose, but, but things have happened and they are just bad for, for business and for everyone. And again, when I'm out there, for instance, checking into a hotel, if, if, they, if I'm treated rudely, I understand that something's going on behind the scenes here because otherwise they would never do that. Uh, and then they, they call the rest of the people in the middle act, uh, just disengaged, which I believe is completely wrong because some people are actually satisfied with their work, but it's still a job. They have other passions in life. They might go windsurfing or something. That's, that's what they do, want to do. And they just work to live, not live to work. Uh, but what I fail when I listen to Gallup studies is that I fail to understand why. They just said that this is how it is. Yeah, they do say that two thirds of the reason for an employee to be engaged is based on the closest manager's behavior. That's what they say. Which is kind of, if you are one of those leaders that have a team, <laughs> you matter, you know, two thirds, 67%, if I remember correctly. But what I did recently in the last couple of years is to kind of figure out why that is, you know, what is the reason for that? And I found that the communication culture in the company, the leadership culture, the meeting culture, the way you set goals or, or, or praise each other, the way you treat your customers, they are all symptoms. They are all observable symptoms of something deeper. And if you only focus on trying to fix the symptoms, they might kind of disappear for a while, but they're still there. The, the disease is still there. Like you can tell... Uh, Matilda, that she should stop whining, and she will stop whining, perhaps. But that doesn't mean that the feeling goes away. They're just suppressed, and you know, probably they will show up uh, in another way later on. Or you will tell uh, uh, Alfred to to stop uh, trash talking people. Yeah, he will stop, you know, because he's been reprimanded. But but is he really? satisfied because of that it's like for instance when i was a manager back in the days when i was working in the corporate world and i was an inexperienced manager bad manager for some in some cases and one of those persons were just whining and whining you know why do we need to do this why do we need to do that and finally i just snapped and i said you do it because i'm your boss and i tell you to do it you know the worst kind of motivation you can get what was i expecting was i expecting them to say ah now i see the light Thank you for telling me. Now I will be so much more motivated. <laughs> they were not. So that was just bad management from my side. But what I did again, I was kind of find that these are just symptoms of something deeper. And I like to go through that with a metaphor that I call the house of engagement, which consists of four different floors, which have different engagement, but also different 
motivational mindsets or focus within those different uh, areas. So let's let's look at them. I'm going to go to uh, this one. Here we go. The house of engagement. As you can see, it has two basement floors, one entrance floor, ground floor, and then you have the top floor, the the view, the the cocktail dinners, the, the, the nice place to be, you know, the world class where only five to 10% of the teams that I found is, you know, you can have individuals on each level. But if you look at it like an on an overall organizational level, even actually full country, you can you can find, you know, trends within a whole country you know, where they belong. And I believe that the world as it is today, at least in the parts of the world that I am, is basically in the basement right now. So, so there you go. But you can also do it like on an individual, but also on a team level. The first one, the minus two level, is where the motivational mindset behind all those kind of observable symptoms of how people act towards each other is that they just want to go from something. This is when the survival part of the brain, the threat system within the brain is kicking in at its highest volume and level. So I call this the, the attack and escape level. If you, if, you, if you run into a team like this, if you, if you feel that you know, this is not bad, you can, you can notice it by, for instance, um, blame games, power moves, uh, trash talk, always trying to position yourself uh, you know, at the expense of everyone else. Um, some people just run away, some people take the fight, but it's all about survival. It's it's really it's really bad, you know, and and it could be you know uh, so, you know conflicts are all, all over the place. And I I, I want just to give you the one of the worst examples, not the worst example from a political perspective where, where, where they kill millions and, and all that, but from a company perspective, here is here is a here's one of those guys who who has a has a you know one of his employees said that he he runs a management by terror. So this guy, I would like to just put some, uh, you know, let's give him some, some, one of those things as well. This is uh, Didier Lombard. He was the former CEO of France Telecom. And back in 2008, when they turned into privatized Orange, he said, you know what, I need to just take away some people. We are 150,000. I'm going to reduce this with 22,000 people. But of course, I have a problem because I live in France and we don't kick people out uh, as easily as you can do in other countries. So uh, I need to think about this, Didier said. And then he thought, and then he came up with a brilliant plan. He would just bully them out of the company. They will resign by themselves. So he told all of his you know, sub-managers, here's what we're going to do. We're going to move them to useless positions around the country where they don't want to work. And we're going to just freeze them out, make them invisible. And he said, they, they will leave. You will make sure that they leave. They should leave either through the door or through the window, he said. That's the options they have. And uh, 2019, he was sentenced to jail, only four months and some pocket change in, in fines because 35 of his employees chose the window. They actually decided it was worthwhile killing themselves instead of staying in this toxic environment that he created. Uh, so for me, he is one of those you know, super villains and you can work with, but that doesn't have to be that bad. Of course, you know you can still be, you know, in in, in a somewhat nicer level. But, but you know the conflict is all, all over the place. Uh, and then you have the next one, which is still on the minus level, minus one, 
but the motivational mindset within the team is much better. Here, they want to go to something instead. They understand that, that you know, just above me, you can see the sun, you know, there's an entrance floor there. I want to go there. So they have this, this drive of going towards something, but they don't have the competence. Perhaps that's where you come in, you know, with your, uh, with your solutions, your services, your, your products, that they can, you can help them elevate up themselves because they don't know themselves. So frustration is running really high. They have a good mindset again with, with going towards, which means that they activate another part of the brain called the exploration system. So they explore, they try but it's kind of ad hoc. Let's go that way. Probably we have find a stair. No, no stairs. Okay, we go that way instead. And then we go that way. And then we have management by reorganization and ad hoc leadership. And, and, and all the meetings are fluffy because nobody can really tell what's going on. And, and you know, there's no clarity. They lack clarity. On the minus two level, what they really need is some compassion and empathy and trust, but they don't get it. On this level, what they crave, people crave around them is clarity. Give me clear goals and roles and mandates and responsibility. I need to find a job description. Give me something. And I found right now, when I look at the hybrid situation that we're in, and I've been studying that quite a lot because people, my clients want that to, you know, for me. Uh, some some leaders say, you know, I'm not going to give you a, a, a clarity here. You figure it out with your team. How many days per week you want to be back in the office, and how many days you can work from other, you know, from from wherever you want. Oh, but I need clarity. Give me, you know, is it two days? Is it three? I won't, don't want to say it. I trust you to make that decision. This is really frustrating for the employees because they, they are given, according to themselves, too much, you know, freedom right now. They need some, some boundaries and then they don't get it. So you have that situation here where, where they really want clarity, but they won't get it. Uh, personally, I think that this is a, a much better um, customer base for me than the toxic ones because I'm perhaps who hypersensitive. So I almost get sick when I work with people who are too much conflict myself. I, I refer them to other people who are better at that than me. Uh, so these are the ones that they don't, they don't know, but they want something at least. And then you have the next one, which is uh, these guys who figured it out. This is where they triggered the safety system in their brains. So now they are safe and secure and they feel good about things and they are you know, in agreement people go to the office and, and find themselves pretty satisfied. This is, this is a nice place. You can almost rest here, you know, and, and everything looks good. From the outside, this is a company I want, want to work with. From the inside, I'm not so sure because there's something behind the surface. And you find it when you listen to them here, when they say things like, uh, now nah, we shouldn't risk anything. Now nah, we tried it before. Let's just be still. Let's wait it out and so on. This is what they do. So basically what they do is that they want to defend and keep and protect whatever they have. So you can hear that in the, in the way they talk, like you can hear on the other ones, you know, the blame games in the bottom and then, you know, the, the yelling and all that. And then, you know, the, the whole frustration about trying this and that and that and that. And then here it's just about, you know, risk minimization, which leads to stagnation. And that leads you right back down to the basement. And they do everything they can to just protect what they have. Let's say that they are market leaders and everything they do is to protect that market leadership. They don't find ways to develop themselves anymore. Well, soon enough, they will not be market leaders. So this is a level that looks good on the outside. It's kind of restful because again, you know, just being there in, in the safety bubble is nice, uh, but it leads to stagnation. So you don't get anywhere basically. So 
there is one more, and that was the top floor. So the top floor, if you go all the way up to the top floor, this is where you end up. You have teams who have a motivational focus or mindset of continuous growth and continuous development. And these guys have figured out that they should help each other. They cannot do this alone. So they have a, a leadership by, by values and visions and trust, and they do knowledge sharing, and they help each other out. And this is where you find the most actively engaged and satisfied people. This is where they understand that they don't have to have conflicts. They don't like conflicts. They, like, they, they have disagreements, but they have it with high compassion and safety. So they can do the exploration part. They can even have, you know what, if I look at this as, as a vaccine and the other three levels where you have, you know, the, the threat system, which are going from something and then going towards something like the exploration system and then you have the safety system. All of them, if you take away the toxicity behind it, you know, the, the, the poison part, they're all good. So you should actually have like 10% going from something. Otherwise, why should you move unless you're at least somewhat dissatisfied with where you are? And then you should have like 45% of, of exploration just being you know, the explorative person without the frustration and all that. And then you have 45% of safety as well. So you have all of them, pack it into one, do it over and over again, then you're on the highest possible level. This is where you have continuous growth. So as, when I say conflicts, conflicts that exist in the basement, basically. I, I tell people, you know, be afraid of conflicts. I don't know about you, do you if you put that into the chat, um, do you think conflicts are developing? Is it, is it good to have conflicts? Will you grow if you have conflicts? Let's see what you put. I'm going to actually open my chat as well because I haven't. Uh, Kirsten is running all of that. Ah, you did a nice uh, summary as well. Nice. Thank you. Trying my best there. <laughs> How do you help? Uh, I'm going to look at that, Philip, in, in, in a second. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Anyway, I, I haven't seen any answer on, on whether or not you think that conflicts are good because when I ask this, a surprising number of people say that conflicts are good. It's good for you. And I found that it's, it's a terminology thing. Conflicts, when I look into the pure definition of it, it's a battle. It's a fight. It's, it's, it's a war that somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. And when I look at conflicts from that perspective, and conflicts is what you see in Ukraine right now disagreements is another thing and it's about the mindset you know are we trying to figure something out together even though we have different opinions on how to get there you know the core values should be the same they should they should be absolutely the same we shouldn't change the values but we should perhaps find a way to be you know listening with 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 big ears to figure out if we can you know learn something from each other and you can only do that if you have trust if you don't have trust, then you, you stop listening immediately. Let me see what, what I got from Felipe. I got a question, I think. How do you filter people when you hire for growth and development? Well, Philip, first of all, I'm, I'm not into the recruitment business. But what I would like to figure out again is, you know, what are they saying when it comes to, uh, you can do lip service, of course, but, you know, what are their, their mindset of other people, for instance? Are they a suspicious kinds? Can you, can you hear them being genuinely interesting? Are they asking you questions in a situation where you're hired? You know, are, are, they, are, they, are, they, are they listening to understand or are they just listening to respond? And one of those things that I, I believe is, is important as well. You know, um, 
if you hire them to be a leader, of course, you need to find out, you know, what, what, what kind of leader are you? You know, if, if they are one of those success people are lazy and they need to be whipped or get a carrot, then that's one type of leadership style that I wouldn't prefer, you know, in, in, in wherever I work. So, so, you know, it's finding out the clues again of how they, how they act, how they meet uh, people, how they run a meeting, for instance, will also tell you a lot and uh, how they treat clients or, or suppliers and so on. Uh, so, so again, I found all of them to be symptoms of something deeper. And the deeper is the system I just talked about. It's, it's, the, it's the threat system, it's the exploration system, it's the safety system, and how you can build that one at a time. Uh, and more questions coming in here. Conflicts can be productive if it's in a safe place. Well, then I don't call it a conflict. That's probably the difference, Chantel. I don't call it a conflict. I call it a healthy disagreement. For me, there's two different things, completely different. Conflict is, I'm going to you know, hammer, you know, use a hammer or something. Um, Ian, have you looked at constructive versus destructive conflicts? Well, again, you know, it's it's a terminology thing. If you, if you talk about that from a constructive conflict perspective, and we all agree that that means that we just haven't have unfulfilled needs that we that we talk about, and we can do that in a good way, then we can call it constructive conflict. I just don't want to use the word conflicts because for me that 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 is what Putin is doing right now to to Zelensky. So that you know that's that's a conflict. Uh, thank you, Chantal, uh, and thank you, Philip. Okay, cool. Effective listening, yes, absolutely. We need to have effective listening. So I'm going to go back to the to the um, picture about them. So this is for me kind of the highest level. And some people, some some teams, they have like a trampoline. They jump up there. They are there for a second, but then they go down again. So this is this is this is not like like a like a project that you can do once and then it's over. This is you know continuous continuous work. <laughs> Uh, of course, with, since you have like 45% of the safety, safety system as part of your, your antidote, then you should rest the times as well, but, but not all the time. Then you need to go back in to see what can we do more, you know. So if I look at all of them again, let's see if I can do that like this. These are the ones. Um, there are some consequences to this. And I've, and I've, and I've been looking into, you know, what, are, what is research saying about, you know, what happens if you are on the, on, the, on the basement level or if you're on the highest, you know, top four level. And these are just some of the numbers that I found. I couldn't fit everyone into the slide. But if you have um, teams that, that work in the basement level, then they will be more absent, you know, more burned out, perhaps. They will have more accidents. They will do more errors. They will, they will not necessarily report more errors because they are afraid, but they will do more errors. This has been shown in, in the medical industry, for example. If you read about psychological safety, the book about psychological safety, I can't remember her name now. She talks about uh, you know, two different uh, hospitals. One reports tons of, of errors, and everybody thinks, oh, they must be bad. No, they are the best, because every time they do something wrong, they report it so that they can get better. While the other hospital didn't report as much, but they have all those huge mistakes that they do that more or less kills patients, right? So, so they have more errors. The engagement level goes just drops, of course, and creativity drops. And actually, if you have um, those actively disengaged people, which you do when you're down in the basement, they also lower the productivity about 30% of, of the team, of the whole team, not only of themselves, but of the whole team. 
I have, and my wife is working uh, for for a heavy metal festival. Uh, it's going to really take place within two months in Sweden. Thirty five thousand people like you and I just to take away the shirt, and then they have their the black shirt, and then they just rock to, to Deep Purple or, or Aerosmith or, or Guns N' Roses or whatever. And and, and I remember she told me that she has one of those persons in 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 the uh, you know in the team and and that person ruins it for everyone because they have, have to redo everything that that person is doing and that person is always defending themselves saying I, I did nothing wrong ever you know and just you know it's just bad so this is what happens then also i, I found that 25 percent take out their frustration on their clients on their customers <laughs> we can't have that that's that's just that's just bad then, of course, if you go up to the top floor, not only will you delete all those problems, you will also gain productivity, gain customer satisfaction. And if you are even a, on the stock exchange, you will have a higher stock price. So I, don't, I know there's that's one guy in Sweden who, who buys stocks only based on employee index, the, the net performance, the, the score. And, and, and he, had, he outperforms everyone because engaged people do better. As simple as that, right? Now, uh, if you uh, are running a team, if you're a solo entrepreneur like me, it doesn't matter, but if you're running a team, then uh, what you could do is to just check this out. This, I, I created this recently, uh, 15 questions, A, B, C, D, just fill in you know, whatever, and then you get an indication, uh, an indication of where your team is at. Uh, I call it an indication because it's just subjective, you know, uh, answers that that will do it. So, but of course, if all people in the team do it and you can share the results, then perhaps you will find out, you know, where you belong. So do it if you want to. I did this as an inspiration of Mike. Actually, I listened to Mike like a year ago uh, on 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 a, on a virtual keynote, and, and uh, he did this, and I was thinking this is fun. So I did that test, and then I talked to him afterwards, and that's actually why I'm here. <laughs> then afterwards, I say, hey, I like you, and he liked me, and let's let's do something together, and there we go. So I'm, I'm you know that's why I'm part of the circle of excellence. But if you want to do it, do it, and if you want to talk to me afterwards, just send me an email, and we and we discuss the results. You will get some some tips from me as well. Uh, so there you go. That was part one, which is about again the uh, you know the, the real reason why, why people are motivated or not, the real reason why we have the engagement or not. So again, looking into the meeting culture, the, the leadership culture, the the uh, the way you set goals, the way you treat your customers, the way you, you all of those things, kind of gives you a clue if you look at it from that perspective. Um, let me share you one more thing that I think is, is appropriate when it comes to this. And then, you know, what, 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 what should you do then if you want to be on, the, on that top level? Um, then I think we have something we can call workplace communication insights and so on. And, and basically for me, is that I, I tell people that, you know, this is what you need to excel at. You need to be, you know, really good at communicating. And I'm talking about analog, digital, hybrid, when you when you do presentations, when you do conversations, uh, it's not enough to do one you know two day presentation skills training back in the two thousand and two, and then you think that you're done. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, and then you need to just increase your meeting competence. We spend so much time in meetings, like a ridiculous amount of time in meetings sometimes, and then just do something about it. Be good. Be really good. Be have engaging, effective meetings, not only efficient meetings, but just make sure that they're really good. Again, analog, digital, hybrid. And then this one is to just maximize your performance. You know, how do you set meaningful, proper goals that make you excel 
you know, if you do that, you actually will increase the performance by 15 to 30% just by doing that. And then looking at motivational boosters and, and um, um, you know, self-leadership as well. We need that more than ever, especially in this kind of hybrid world that we're in right now. People are, need to take big responsibility themselves. And of course, it's so rewarding when I work with leaders and I work, for instance, with all of those things like I've done now with, with remote leadership and hybrid leadership. And I, and I, and I see the development. I, I, I'm, you know, I become happy just seeing them develop and, and increase their competence. And I you know because I know that they are, they are a bigger rock than perhaps their employees because whatever they throw in the water, the, the tide, the wave is their kind of impact on them. And that, that's a bigger impact. Uh, I guess you guys, you, you are a big rock as well because you impact more people than perhaps the, the normal person does. And that's you know, a responsibility we have to take. So that's pretty, uh, that, that's one of those. So I just want to give you one thing about that. You know, what can you do to maximize your performance? And then I'm going to talk about the uh, three communicative superpowers as well. That's it. And then we're done for today. <laughs> All right. So uh, one of the easiest ways to just uh, make people uh, perform better is to make sure that they have the right uh, optimal state of mind, you can say. So uh, I'm talking about hacking your brain here. The simplest way to hack your brain is this. Name a person that during the last week made you feel good. And I'd like you to do that now in the chat. Name one person that made you feel good the last week. Made you feel warm inside, made you smile, made you be just a little bit more happy just when, after you talk to them. One person. Chantelle is uh, quick here. Ina, Craig, Waldo, Cindy. Anyone else who has, you know, I hope that you name one person at least that may be happy to, you know, if it's a news anchor, you know, whoever it is, you know, or could it be one of your team members? Could it be one of your suppliers? Could it be one of your customers, perhaps, you know? The thing that happens when you do that is pretty simple. In our brain, we have a traffic light. We can call it a traffic light, like this. And if, if it's red light, you know, like, woo, woo then it's just, you know, stop, you can't do anything. But if it's a green light, then you get more access to the brain. So every time you have a green light, you get more access to the full brain. And, and if you look at it, what you have in the brain is a bodyguard, the threat system part, where you just, you know, find out if this is a threat or not. And if you feel threatened in any way, due to reorganizations, due to somebody giving you, you know, a stare or whatever it could be, it's a red light. And then, you know, like a bodyguard in any movie, you know, the president doesn't have anything to say anymore because the bodyguard takes over. So you don't get access to the higher functions of the brain. But if you do have that, you know, if they feel unthreatened, then they can go up to the CEO where all the decisions are made, basically in the limbic system, the, the, the emotional side of the brain. And they can start to, to you know, uh, feel good about that unless they feel bitter, angry, um, irritated or whatever. Then it's a red light again. It could be because they're hungry, you know. But if they feel, if they have a green light, if they feel safe and secure, the safety system is on as well, then they can actually go all the way to the analyst, you can call them, uh, where you can have, be constructive and creative and then also productive. So, so my mission in life is basically to make every brain, you know, that I meet become green because now we can be open for new ideas. Now we can search for patterns instead of problems. As soon as you, you have a red light, you search for problems and not patterns and, and, and good things. 
So that's just one thing I wanted to mention. And then the second thing was, of course, you know, the three communicative superpowers. After being there in, in that you know, gunpoint, uh, being held at gunpoint, I was looking into this more and more. And I, I actually have, uh, I've written 14, co-written and written 14 books by now. And one of them is called Empty Engagement. And I, and I gathered kind of my condensed wisdom of, of communication within 20 communication insights and then three communicative superpowers. And by the way, if you want that book, I would happily send it to you like a PDF at least. Uh, uh, so just uh, you know, contact me either on LinkedIn where I'm active if you can spell my name, you can find me. I'm the only one with that name. Or it's it's my name that is my email address, anthony at lassenai.com. And I will just PDF your, your, your version of the book. Uh, anyway, so let's go into the three communicative superpowers then, one at a time. The first one is energy. This is a communicative superpower. This is what we can call nonverbal communication as well. Uh, how you look and how you sound when you communicate. And energy is like a magnet. If you have a high energy, positive energy, people will be drawn into you. It's like a, it's like a, you know, when you're on vacation, if you, if you still, if you are on vacation, I, I almost not, don't remember how it was before the pandemic, but you know, you walk on that street with the restaurants, you know, on both sides, and some of them have music and laughter and fun, and then some are just completely empty. And, and I want to I want to be where the other ones have fun. That's where I want to be, you know, the positive energy. But then there's always when I say this to people, there's always one uh, engineer normally that says, no, I want to go to the uh, empty one because I get my food quicker. And I said, yeah, but you also get food poison quicker. You know, that's what's going to happen. Kirsten said, you know, give you the, my email address is that one or, or dot com doesn't matter. Both works. So energy is a superpower, the nonverbal communication, how you sound and how you look when you say something. Basically, this determines if you are believable or not. So energy is about your people believing that you believe, because why should they if you don't seem to do it? If you have a stiff body language, if you have, a, if you have no tonality in your voice, nothing happens, it's just flat. Then you then you become pretty boring, basically, and it could be very relevant what you say, but people have a harder time listening. So it's just you know, do you want them to be drawn into you like a magnet or not? The second one, in no particular order right now, is empathy. Empathy is so that your people or your clients feel that you understand them, that you at least try to understand them, that you are there to listen again, not to respond, but to understand. This is about being interested rather than interesting. Uh, asking questions, asking follow-up questions, listening on a deeper level to really understand the whole person, perhaps. Let, let them finish their sentences before you jump in. Things like that, you know, being in tune with them. Uh, being, you, know, you can also you know, match them and mirror them just to, to feel that oh, this, we create a bubble of trust here together. Empathy, I believe that empathy is where you know, salespeople win business. This is where they win their business. If they do this well, the rest is just downhill easy. If they do this wrong, then it's an uphill battle. So empathy is one of those superpowers that, that you can talk about forever. You know, it's, it's a big one. And then finally, you have clarity. Clarity is so that people understand you. You, know, you understand them, it's empathy. Clarity is that people understand you. And it's almost, uh, you know, there's some sort of humor in this because when I talk to people, they say, you know, no, no, I mean, I understand, I understand everybody, but sometimes the people misunderstand me. I don't understand. 
Yeah, and I, I, what's what's wrong with you? I'm thinking, you know, there's so many filters in our brains, and and we have a prejudice and all that. We cannot say exactly what we mean, and, and then everybody has their own interpretation of what you said anyway. So when I say something now, and we're 12 people in this room right now, and then whoever listening to this afterwards, you will have different realities based on what you tuned into, based on what I said, based on when you zoned out. So everything like that happens, you know. So clarity is about making people feel smart by using fewer, better words, uh, not complicate things unnecessarily and so on. Uh, and the, the symbol that you see there, uh, anyway, okay, in the chat, this is, uh, this is a, a statue, one of the most famous statues in the world. It's, it's inverted because I wanted it to be you know, in a black background. Anyone can see who that one is, you know, what is that statue? I can tell you some clues. 1504, Matthew is quick, gold star Matthew. This is the statue of David made by Michelangelo in 1504, something like that. Cool. The book title, please. Yes, Employee Engagement, uh, 20 uh, Keys to Outstanding Workplace Communication. Again, I will give it to you. So you just you know, let me know if you want it. Um, what Michelangelo said, what Michelangelo said, was that uh, in this one piece of marble that he made this statue, he said, David was inside. David was inside all the time. I just removed everything around him. And for me, that is clarity. That is clarity. And we don't bring clarity when we have 58 corporate bullshit PowerPoint slides, for instance. We don't have clarity when we have three-letter acronyms that nobody understands. We don't have clarity if we, if we are just abstract in our language, talking about things that are unfamiliar to whoever we talk to. We need to just be more concrete and more clear. So I would like to ask you one more question now. If you look at all of those three, which one do you think is the most important one? If you have to choose one, which one would you say is the most important one out of those three? In the chat, please. And for those who see this afterwards, I will give you the results. So we'll get some uh, now. Oh, we get all of them. Clarity, energy, empathy. Uh, we have all of them right now uh, coming in here. Uh, probably a higher number of empathy right now. Matthew said you need the energy to be the other two. Oh, interesting. Yeah, cool. So on one sense, you're absolutely right, because all of them are needed. If you look at the minus two level, for instance, that we talked about before, um, they crave empathy. They, they want that. You know, minus one level, they crave clarity. Minus two, my, the entrance level, where they don't uh, want to take any risks, they need a big portion of energy. So all of them are needed, perhaps on different stages, in different, you know, in different volumes or, or quantities. But for me, looking into this after all these decades, I would say that there's one that is, for me, at least the number one, and I'll, I'll give it to you like this. So for me, it's empathy. And the reason I chose empathy and not energy and clarity, because they are still superpowers, is that unless you understand another person, it's really hard for you to be clear. So, so you need to get who you have in front of you first, then you can tailor your message to be clear, and then you can deliver it with energy. So for me, energy and clarity is kind of close second if I want to use that one, that metaphor. Looking into empathy. If you have high em empathy in your leaders, then you will have many more engaged people. Like 70% of your people will be engaged if they have executives with high empathy. Um, so same goes with your clients, of course. Uh, and if you have low empathy uh, executives, then you will have like between 15 and 30% engagement. 
in the in the staff. So so that's kind of disastrous result, results, but more or less. So empathy for me comes first because of that reason. But I like what you said as well. You need energy to be the other two. So that's that's pretty cool, Matthew as well. Uh, and then when it comes to the other two again, you need both. If you have only clarity but no energy when you deliver something like a message, then you become boring. If you have only energy and no clarity, then you become a clown. We don't want that. We want both. And again, if you look at, for instance, one study that showed, let me see if I can show you this one. Um, going to that one. Here we go. This is one study for, done by, by a number of thousand people. This we can see. So if you have high energy and high clarity, you get more engagement. If you look at the, the other one, where you have like low clarity and low engagement, you get zero engagement, you get a lot of bored people. Very simple. So when I train people in communication skills and so on, I always want them to have high energy and high clarity, but I start with empathy. I cannot, I cannot stress that enough. All right, this is what I this is what I talk about, you know, all the time. This is kind of my mission. But when I was um, uh, thinking about meeting you guys as well, I was thinking, well, you know, can I could I can I use empathy? Can I use clarity and energy as, as my core values as well? And I decided no. I couldn't, I couldn't use them for that. I have other ones. I have, you know, I want to be professional. I want to be positive. I want to work with, with conscious leaders who also have a, a real interest of the planet and the people on it. So I turned down, you know, work right now. Like for instance, I talked to this Russian bank who wanted me to do any uh, speech and, and I said, yeah. And then they invaded Ukraine and I said, no, <laughs> not going to happen, of course. You know, or this online casino, and I, I said, you know what, I can do this work for you, but I, my heart is not in it, so, so I prefer not to. And I said, fine, I respect that. They're just businesses that I want to work with, like like the oil companies and and, uh, and so on, because because I, I you know I, I have a climate depression going on, basically, and I have kids who I hopefully have kids, and, and you know I want their life to be better. So so that's how I think about it. So when I looked at empathy, clarity, and energy from 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 my perspective. Well, I decided that they all work really well when I want to explore my own business, my own entrepreneurship, empathy, having a self-empathy, having also an, in, an interest and a curiosity in, in what makes me tick. You know, what is my, my idea about what I want to do and, and how do I do things? And, you know, being very self-aware as well. You know, where do I falter? Where do I do things good and so on? And by the way, I'm always very criticizing myself after any type of performance. Clarity, the same there. The first thing that I think we taught, we learned when it comes to the Circle of Excellence program, clarity, you know, what is your avatar? What is your core values? What is it that you want to do and all that? So it makes perfect sense. And then energy is just bringing that to action, doing things. You don't do things unless you have energy. You need energy to do things. And, and just, you know, the way I kind of mold my business, work with my business on a daily basis, but also with the help of, of, of for instance, Circle of Excellence. So I use them for that as well now. I didn't do it before. I was just missioning it. It said, if you want to communicate outwards. But for me, it's also about communicating inwards. So for me, it's both of them, actually. That's the way I, I use it today. So with two minutes left, um, I'd like to find out if you have any reflections on what I said now, and if it, if it was some nugget that you found valuable for you, that you can actually you know, use in some way. 
if it's a mindset thing, if it's the the, the different uh, you know motivational mindsets, whatever whatever it is. While you do that, I'm going to listen, look, at, look at the questions. How can you train in empathy? For me, there are two types of empathy. That's empathy by calculation and empathy by compassion. And, and calculation is about predicting people's behaviors and, and, and figuring out what they are. Compassion is more about you know, feeling it as well. Uh, it's really hard to, to train people in how to feel, but you can train people in how to ask questions and listen to answers in a good way. And by doing that over and over again, they will probably be more skilled at it. And if they have some sort of um, empathetic DNA in their body and they're not psychopaths, then, then they will actually be better at it. You can train people to be better at listening and also to, to be better at asking the right questions. And the right questions is probably uh, uh, an interesting one as well. So you don't only ask you know, closed questions three times and then you say, now it's my turn to talk. So you can absolutely, I do that. You know, if when I do, when I train, for instance, feeders or, or even salespeople, I spend half of the time just working with the empathy and then we can talk about the rest. Steve, from my sports experience, this is a great model to explain peak performing teams. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, thank you. And Matthew has something I said, in the point I was in the basement, I had no idea. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm, you know, you can go back and up and down like this, you know, things happen in, in your life. By the way, you can take away my spotlight now, if we can have the gallery view instead, uh, Kirsten. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've been there too. I've been so disappointed sometimes I lost, for instance, I, perhaps I lost a promotion or something, I found it unfair, and I was in the basement, poof, right there. But I'm kind of trying to get myself up and always keep the mindset of that uh, head teacher in the business economics. I'm, 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 I'm one of the learning persons. I want to do that over and over again, just be one of the learning persons. Thank you, Philippe. All right, cool. It's, it's uh, 10 o'clock my time. So, so that was it. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I would love to meet some of you I'm already connected with on LinkedIn. Uh, again, my email address is my name.seo.com. Um, Send me an email or connect with me on LinkedIn and I'll make sure that you get the book and pre-engagement if you want it as well. So big thanks.